0: if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. We'll spend a little time in the Word this morning. I say a little time, and let me just give you the first sermon application before it's even a message. Don't fall asleep during the sermon. All right, I know a lot of people are tired. Some maybe aren't, but uh, I gave you your warning. That's a first application. Don't fall asleep. Um, It has been a great week. It's been a busy week, and a week that um, I always get excited about. It. I'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, we're going to spend time in continuing our series called Counterculture through Second Corinthians, and it's a timely text. A lot of times after Real Community, I will uh, speak about something different or something in line, and I even we're in this four-part series on generosity. This text really does fit, I feel, well for uh, a response, if you will, to what God has uh, done through. Many of us this week. So, we're going to read the last part of chapter 8 and the first part of chapter, or not the last part of chapter 8, a few verses in chapter 8 and the first uh, part of chapter 9. But before we do, as we always do at this church body, if you're new to this, we recite, This is not scripture, but it's an affirmation of what we believe about scripture and the Holy Spirit as we come to God's word. So, let's say it together. Our pursuit is by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a biblically functioning community. We will not shy away from the Word of God. We will embrace it as truth, no matter how painful it is to our souls or how countercultural it is to our souls. We will follow the King. Amen. So if you remember where we were through our um, study of this book, we are picking up in verse 10 in chapter 8. I'm going to read through verse 15, and then I'll skip ahead to chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. So we'll just cover those 10 verses This is what the word of the Lord says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but able to desire also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And then skipping ahead to chapter 9 and verse 1 through 5. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you, To the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaï has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that you are boasting about; you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Let us pray together. Um, Pray that God would speak. Pray that he would speak to our hearts. Pray that he would impress upon us his great love and generosity as he desires us to be generous. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we Praise you for this time together, we praise you for your word, and we pray now that by the Spirit you would just speak to our hearts, teach us something that we do not know, that we may be learning to grow in your word and be transformed by it, and we pray for your grace and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Question for the day, do you consider yourself a willing and ready giver, or a ready and willing giver, however you want to say that? Do you consider yourself ready and willing to give? Now, I'm told that there are three types, a friend told me this recently, there's three types of people in the world. There are givers, there are takers, and then there are matchers. Three types of people in the world. You can generally categorize somebody that you know that maybe you can even think about right now is generally like a giver. They just give and give and give. And you can think of that person right now. This is a person that just always giving, always giving their time, their resource, whether it's hugs, smiles, you name it, they're just giving. There's a sweetness about them to just give. And then there's people that are takers. This is probably not what you want to be. You can think of people like that. They just want to be served. They want to take. They want, you know, people to give to them. They never think about others that way. And then there's this third category, which is a little weird. It's matchers. He even told me, my friend said, well, you're a matcher. I said, thank you very much. And matchers, they give, but sometimes they do it with kind of like an obligation to have to give. So I wasn't very proud to hear that back. I said, you sure I'm not a giver? Um, But they said, no, you're a matcher. And you give sometimes in response to other people giving. So you ladies out there, you know this. If somebody gives you a thank you card, what do you do back? You know, right? Right. You give them a thank you card back, and then they thank you for the thank you for the thank you, right? You know how that goes. And lots of mail, uh, back and forth. But three types of people. But as far as I can tell from the scriptures, even in just what we read, even what Paul is counseling the church towards, we ought to be givers. Now, it is innate in me the way I'm wired is probably more like a matcher, and that's not to my credit. But all believers should be givers as the basis for this four part miniseries we started on generosity it is the question that everything flows from do you know what you have been given in Christ that's the question from all things that flow do you know what you've been given in Christ if you understand the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for you in your sin and sinfulness, separating you from a holy God, and now by his blood reconciled that relationship where God doesn't look on you in judgment and punish you because of your sin, but Christ has taken that, our whole lives ought to be transformed by the gospel and that we would give on to others. And I believe if you know that, you can become a ready and willing giver. You see, that's what Paul is challenging the church here in Corinth as he writes this section. His counsel is clear to the church that they should continue what they said they were going to do, what they started, what they committed to, and they should continue on in their generosity in the way of completion, in the way of finishing it. And the way I'll summarize it this morning is this. It'll be up on the screens. We should be ready and willing to meet the needs that God brings before us. You and I should be ready to meet the needs, ready and willing to meet the needs that God brings before us. And that is unique to all of us. When there's a need that God has put before you, and, and whatever context that is, whatever he lays and presses upon your heart, if you should be ready and willing to step up and meet that need. And that is what, what Paul is, is challenging the church. Now what's happening here is he is talking about the collection for the Jerusalem church. He is going towards the church in Corinth and saying, you need to support the ministry of what's happening in Jerusalem. And so that is with money. But as we work through the day, this is in context about giving a gift of money and offering, but it has so much more in context related to our generosity. You see, the Corinthian church was a church like ours. They had strengths and weaknesses, good things and bad things. And as I've said before, the Corinthian church touted their spiritual giftedness they were all about the spiritual gifts. They touted their faith and their knowledge in, in that part of the world. They were puffed up, if you will, by knowledge. And they lacked, if you will, generosity. So there was a weakness on their part. They had all these other good things, but they just weren't as generous. And so Paul is going to them in this way of faithfulness as if to say, you need to kind of put your money where your mouth is. And sometimes we as Christians need to hear that. What we say and what we do is sometimes very different. And the language is saying, complete it, finish it, be generous, don't stop giving, don't stop being generous. And he actually, in the front part of chapter 9 we read, he boasted about that to others. He boasted that this is the church that gets this right. This is the church that does this. And he's going to them in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 9 and saying, don't embarrass me in that way. As I've said, you are going to be a generous church. Don't make me look like a fool because of your lack of follow through. Now, this is a good point for me to just stop and say, this church is one of the most generous churches that I've ever been a part of, truly. And, and I talk about you to other people, pastor friends, all the time. I told Landon this a while ago, I said, I don't think you're ever going to be a part wherever the Lord leads him in ministry. I hope it's here for a long time. But I said, you'll never be a part of a more generous church. And if you are, praise God, I don't know how it could be. And so I come to a text like this, and how do I, how do I, how do I communicate what I already feel is like, well, I don't need to tell these people this. They're really generous already. How do I go before our family and say, be generous when you guys are already, in my mind, So generous. This is to me personally. This is to our family. This is to each other. This is to our community. I see it. And here's what I'd say about that. I want to do as Paul said and say, keep doing it, complete it. Don't cut it short. Start and then finish what you've done. Don't stop and don't let things get in the way. And Paul writes about this word, readiness. You'll see it there six times in the verses I read this word readiness, as if it's something that we should be prepared for or think is important in what does it take to be ready to be generous? Am I putting forth as much effort in preparing to be generous to those around me, to gospel ministry, to others in my sphere of influence? And he adds this idea of willingness or desire. And we'll talk about willingness a little bit more next week, but there is a difference there willingness and readiness. I believe we need to be both, because you can be one without the other. You can be ready, as we all know this. You can have resource, and your heart is just not willing. And then there's times where we are truly willing to be generous, but we just don't have the resource. And Paul beautifully addresses that in this text. You can be one without the other, but he is looking for an aim at God and his generosity and faithfulness, and he wants us to be generous, and so we should be a people ready and willing to meet the needs God brings before us. But see, there are things that get in the way of that, aren't there? And so this morning, I just want to briefly work through three obstacles or threats to us being ready And willing, generous givers that God wants us to be. These are threats to us, and I think we'll identify with all of them. The first one is procrastination, the second one is hesitation, and the third one is exception. I'll work through each of those procrastination, hesitation, and exception. And these, I'll just say that these can be applied, if you see those words, these can be applied to all things spiritual in our growth. This, in context, again, is about a gift of money to the Jerusalem church, but you can apply these things across the board to all kinds of spiritual growth, and the first one is procrastination. Raise your hand if you're a procrastinator. See, some of you aren't raising your hand yet, can you wait to the last minute to do it, right? (laughs) What does this mean? It means that we put something off, and and. And I might be by nature a little bit like that. I've had to grow out of that. We delay, and we usually, if you're a procrastinator, you wait to the last minute. I mean, this is schoolwork when you were younger. This is projects where you're in high school and college, and you're like, "Ah, oh, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. But spiritually, this becomes a problem. Paul in verse 10 says, in this matter, I give judgment. This benefits you now, what is he talking about? There are two things. The verse before, and I'll read it real quick. It won't be on the screen. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might be rich. Of course, that benefits them. But also what benefits them is their generosity in the work they started. He says, a year ago, you started not only to do this work, but also desire to do it. So Paul has said that the Corinthian church here had committed to support the Jerusalem church a year ago. And now he's coming to them, and they're not as ready to to give. They're not as willing to be generous. And he says, you committed to this a year ago. That was a year ago. And now I want you to follow through on what you said. And he reminds us that being generous uh, in Christ is not only the right thing, but it actually benefits us in the kingdom. And something like that is not worth putting off. The Corinthians had been the first church to sign up. And maybe this has been used sometimes. I'll be the first person to like sign up and commit to something. And Paul's now saying, finish it. They claimed the procrastinator's favorite word. Do you know what it is? Tomorrow. That's the favorite word of a procrastinator. And spiritually, that applies to us. I'll get to that later. I'll get to that tomorrow. You see, procrastination involves intentionally and habitually putting off something that you know needs to be done. It's not just about forgetting. We could make that excuse. It's actually about forsaking. It's not about accidental delay. It's intentionally ignoring. You see what I mean? This is a spiritual lesson all by itself. Well, I, mean, I know I need to read the Bible, but I'll get to that tomorrow. I know I need to love, to love my neighbor, but I'll get to that tomorrow. I know I need to raise my kids the right way in, in a godly manner, but I'll get to that tomorrow. You know, my marriage is just a struggle right now. I'll get to that tomorrow. And on and on it goes. And when it comes to our money, I know God wants me to be a generous giver, but I'll just get to that tomorrow. And the Corinthians fell into this trap that so many of us fall into. And it's a trap because we get in trouble when we procrastinate. and We can get in a lot of trouble if you do that. Tomorrow becomes next week, and next week becomes next month. And then a year later, verse 10 comes along, right? And Paul says, what are you doing? He catches them still not following through. And so what does he do? He counsels them and exhorts them to listen and says, if you know a need. And I'll just think about the, what we've done in our community as a body this week. If you know a need in, in your community that exists, if you know a need. And how are you going to know a need? It's if you look around. You know, I was walking, I'm, I'm already off script, this is terrible. I, okay, I was walking yesterday from a project that we were doing and an elderly couple caught my eye and they waved and I, I just went over there and started talking to them. Probably a real community project next year. I have to tell Adam about that, I'll tell you about that later. And just by talking to them, just being aware, and God has even opened my eyes and he does that through a week like this. If you know you have the resource, that same project that I was walking towards helping was a surprise project that we did yesterday. And it was a family that we wanted to love on and care for. And they were in an overwhelming project. And I said, listen, we can help you. And he said, oh, I don't need to do that. I said, we have an army. We have a resource. We're going to meet a need. And so we just did that. And they were like, well, something that would have taken them weeks to do, we did in like two hours. Because there was a need, and we had the resource, and we met it. And we didn't procrastinate and say, oh, we'll get to that next year. Now you're like, well, you just said that older couple. We'll talk about that later. We can get to that next year. It's a bigger project. We should be ready and willing to meet the needs God brings before us so we don't procrastinate. The second thing is hesitation. This is a big one. The cure to procrastination is the decisive word in verse 11. Look there. So now, Paul writes, now. Finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. You see that that tension there? He's saying your readiness there and your desire should be matched by completing it, but do it now. Don't delay in that. Finish what you started. The Corinthian church, as some of us do spiritually, start off well, and we do, and we go to the spiritual retreat or we have an encounter with God in some way, and we start off well, And Paul's saying, don't hesitate in that, do it now. That's what he's speaking on the first several verses of chapter 9, when he writes this, and I won't read the whole thing, but he says, it's superfluous for me to write about the ministry. I know your readiness. And he says, I boast about it. He says, I've been ready to do that since last year, and your your zeal, people got excited, it says in verse 2, that you were going to do this. I'm sending them out in verse 3 that are boasting about, you may not prove empty, so that you may be Ready as I said you would be. His encouragement to them was be ready. Don't hesitate in that. So be ready in that. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find out you are not ready, we'd be humiliated. As if to say, like if I go out and tell all my, my pastoral friends and all the other people that I know, which I often do, say this Real Hope is one of the most generous churches. And then there's the needs that they just stop meeting and be like, what? That's not what I told these people. You were. And that's the, the tension Paul is relating here. So I thought it necessary to urge brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift. So Paul is doing his part in being ready. We're going to go before because we know that you'll respond to that. Not as a way of manipulation, but a way of a, a nudge to continue to be generous. He had boasted about them and he wants them not to come off short because hesitation paralyzed the church in Corinth. Why? Because hesitation is motivated by uncertainty. How many of you have used that word this year? Uncertainty. How many of you have heard that word? How many of you have heard that word and experienced it this year within the last several months? Man, I just don't know what's coming down the pipe in 2020. Things are uncertain right now. And in context as written, we relate to our money and resource this way. Should I give money to this? Should I give resource to that? Should we give this amount to the church? Is that expected? Should I wait? Maybe I. Maybe it's not a good time. Have you ever heard that? It's just not a good time for us. And often hesitation is motivated by lack of readiness. And Paul is saying that here. You don't do the spiritual prep work And this winds back to the basis. You don't do the spiritual prep work because you're not focused on the question, do I know what I've been given in Christ? If you go back to that basis, you understand, what do I have to lose if I have everything? If I have the full inheritance of heaven, what do I have to lose by giving away material possession, by giving away my time? If I have Jesus, is there anything else I need? And that's what Paul is saying here. He wants the readiness to match the desire, the things that we sing about. I've often been convicted myself when I sing and I think all of us should be convicted about when we sing about surrender. And God, do whatever, have your way in me. And Lord, do whatever you will and desire. And I think, man, is that my heart? Or am I just singing those things in hypocrisy? We often say, in terms of money at least, if we just wait a little bit longer, we'll have more to give or this time just isn't right for me or my financial situation is almost ready to absorb the kind of gift that I'm sure God wants me to give but just not yet. And worse, I I want to do other things so I just don't know if I can do both. And so Paul responds to the excuses. You see, the Corinthian church has made a commitment and they were met with all the reasons and excuses why they couldn't meet it. Does that sound familiar in our lives? Sometimes we need to hear that kind of rebuke, if you will, or reproach that, hey, maybe this is an excuse that I'm making for a reason I'm not following Jesus with my whole heart and surrender in everything. And when the need arises, the spirit, and you know what that feels like because I know what that feels like. When the need arises, you know God's saying, you have what they need, meet it. You know I've given you what they need, meet it. And sometimes we just, I don't know. And sometimes we hesitate at that. Now the church's situation, here's, here's what I want you to see, why Paul is writing it this way. The church's situation in our attitudes is sometimes to say, we'll wait till things improve. It likely did not. And we're at a really critical moment in our nation's history, in this world right now, to not know what's coming down. And we can either freeze or we can move forward without hesitation. And you and I have the choice to make in that, will we take what God has given us and leverage it not towards politics, not towards anything like that, but towards the gospel? What can we do as a people of God to leverage it for the sake of the gospel? And if you are ready and you have the resources, then you just do it. You don't wait for the perfect circumstances. Carrie and I had kids really early When we were married, we had kids right away. Why? We looked at each other and said, we're never going to be ready for that. We're never going to be able to afford it. So let's just do it. And we did not hesitate. (laughs) We had them because... We just knew we loved kids, and she wanted kids, and I wanted kids, and we wanted to be able to enjoy that, and we, God was gracious in that. We have four beautiful, beautiful kids, and God has blessed that, and it wasn't because we were ready, and I'm not saying this is a one-to-one analogy, I'm like, go just like do whatever. It was the preparedness, so there's never going to be a good time to do what God wants you to do. Often is, it's counterintuitive. When you know God impresses on your heart to do something, it's often counterintuitive. You say, God, What? And do it without hesitation. And Paul says here in this verse 13, or 12 rather, for the readiness is there, is not acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. In other words, it doesn't matter what you don't have sometimes. If your desire is there, then you trust God enough to supply. If you want to give, it is acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. If you have readiness and willingness, and you have resource, then you should give. The best way to understand this is to focus on the readiness and willingness. If you have those, even if you don't think you have the resources to complete a project, often, and this is true, Adam would know this, we start Real Community Week with a plan, and it's pretty much on point, but often we start, and we're like, I don't know if we're going to have the resources to meet these needs, and usually what happens is God supplies other projects that we're still able to meet beyond the ones that we already knew about. Do what you can now and don't worry and focus on what you can't do. This is why I love the gospel passage that we read earlier in Mark 12. I'm just going to flip back there. Here's this lady. And here's, here's the picture I get every time that I, I, I see what Fiona read. I read that. Jesus can't. Most of you wouldn't even come in here if, if Jesus did what, what, what he did in the commons. If he camped his disciples right by the offering box and watched all of us come in. But that's what he does. He sets them apart and he looks at the offering box and he's teaching his disciples. He's saying, all these people are dropping in big sums of money, right? You can just picture it. They're doing their, and I'm not saying that people that do that here are being religious. I'm just saying this is what he's pointing out to them. Dropping, the, And then this little old lady comes along And it says a penny, the amount that amounted to a penny. And you say, well, a penny was different back then, inflation. Fine, a dollar, $10, it doesn't matter. The point is, it's all she had. It's all she had. And in her heart, I believe she was meeting a need that God impressed upon her heart. And she had the resources and she said, I don't know what's going to happen, but here's the resource. Here's the need. I'm going to trust God for the rest. All that she had, all that she had to live on. I think of Philippians 2, 3 and a message I heard once about counting others more significant than yourselves. Disadvantaging yourself for the advantage of others. That you would do that, that I would do that. Don't procrastinate. Don't hesitate. And finally, don't be the exception. Here's what I mean by that in verse 13. Let me read that for I did not mean that others should be eased and you burdened but that as a matter of fairness your abundance in verse 14 at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. Now what was happening is I think they thought other people would meet their need because they didn't have enough of that at the time or the need rather. And Paul's desire was not to burden, have people burden themselves unnecessarily in order to relieve others' burdens. Sometimes that happens. People give what they cannot give. They give beyond, if you will. And I know we're to give beyond what we can at the time, but some people get themselves into horrible troubles when they're constantly giving more than they actually have to give. Paul was saying there's got to be some equality in the church, but he doesn't want that to be a, a reason hindered by an excuse. I just can't do it right now. Somebody else will meet that need. That's because somebody had it easier financially, so they're the people that that have to meet the need, and that's why I can't participate. Friends, you can always find somebody worse off and better off than you. I know in the medical world, we have a a child that struggles, but Carrie and I go into the hospital all the time. As, As medically complex as Josiah, as we say, there's always something worse. We see the kids, we see the families all the time. And there's always going to be someone better off than you. And if everyone continued to be the exception, guess what would happen? And, pat, and you pass the buck down the line for the work, guess what the Lord's work would do? It would just come to a screeching halt. If everyone just passed the buck on down the line. If others can foot the bill this time, I'll catch the next opportunity when it comes around. Verse 14 is all about this. Different seasons might bring about different ability to bless others based on the presence of your Resource, Paul says, your abundance at the present time, the now, should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. What is he saying? Right now you have the resource. Down the road, somebody will be blessing you with their resource. I've seen this in our lives time and time again. When we have need, it's met by somebody else so that we can meet a need for somebody else. And this is where Paul brings them back to the days of the wilderness when God supplied the manna to the Israelites. I'm not gonna go read the whole thing, but verse 15 is a reference to reference to Exodus 16, 18, which we'll have on the screen here. When they had measured it with an omer. So Paul or Paul writes about this encounter in Exodus when God supplied to the complaining, grumbling people, remember who wanted, like, why did we ever leave Egypt? We had bread pots full and meat pots full. And he says, when you measure an Omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. When God told the Israelites through Moses to do it that way, some gathered less, some gathered more, but what did they all have? Enough. They always had enough because God was going to supply their need. And that's how God gives to us even in our procrastination and sinfulness and our hesitation to do what is right and us always, like the Israelites, justifying our response why we can't do what God wants us to do, God continues to lavish grace on us. That's the gospel, right? He did that by sending his son to take our sin at the cross. And I hope you know, and I keep driving at this, what you have been given in Christ. Nothing in this world ever compare. And that's what Paul is driving at. Christ became poor for our sake so that we could be rich. When will we get that? When will we see that the only thing in the world that counts for anything is the gospel? That our health, our freedoms, our plans, our dreams, our exceptions, none of it compares to knowing Christ for eternity. And you can say that it does, but nothing compares to that. And that is an uncertainty that is a certainty, rather, if we place our trust in Christ. It is certain. There is nothing uncertain about that. We can have hope because of a generous and gracious God, and God wants us to see that for us to radically change. And that is why I love Real Community, because it's a pause button. And that's how I've, I treat it, as a pause button. It stops, and that would be my plug for next year. Plan a pause button where it stops me in my tracks of ministry and especially ministry these days where it feels like all things are all over the place. And it just pauses you to say, here's an opportunity to do what God wants me to do and care about people around me. And it's like pushing that pause button, time to give up some things that I want to do. Some people give up days of vacation from work Days that they could be doing other things to serve. They give up days of recreation. They give up things that they had planned with family. They just go to serve and give and love. And for me, it's a time to remember there's people out there that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we can do that through work projects, amen. And often we are just too busy in our life procrastinating, hesitating, and making excuses to do that. And what God will do is he'll change your attitude during the week, and he had to work on me big time this week, changing my attitude little by little. And he has a lot of work to do in my heart these days. You see, this is where I'll close. Your attitude is what God is after in your generosity. And that's the willingness part that we'll talk more about next week. And it flows from the heart. And the heart is changed through one thing, through trusting in this and obeying it. Not just talking about it, but through reading it and getting with God and spending time hearing his voice. And when he says go, you say, when? Now. I'll go right now. Active obedience as as in you're ready and understand what God desires and then you go and do it. I'll talk about this more or less next week, but I'll just drop it to you now. Jesus can have your money without your heart, but he can't have your heart without your money. You can put in anything you want to money that you value. I don't care what word you put in. But he can have your money without your heart, but he can't have your heart without your money. And while this passage is actual giving of financial resources, it's about so much more. Jesus did it all the time. He tied our hearts to money and mere material possessions. It's a human thing that we're always gravitating towards, and he tied it to that, and he says, where your heart is, what There your treasures going to be? Vice versa. That's just where it's going to be, and so you got to get that right. And sometimes we give of these things without any heart, out of religious duty, and sometimes we give them in the way that God wants us to give them, with an open hand, like the the widow who came and gave everything. And God wants your heart, and this will come by way of stepping up and meeting the needs that God brings before us. And I hope that this church continues to do that, that we would be ready and willing to meet the needs that God brings before us. We have a generous church because we have a generous God. So don't procrastinate. Don't hesitate. Don't make excuses. Do what God today is calling you to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you that you are so good and rich in love and mercy. And Father, I come into these weeks amazed by not the neat part of the week of just doing projects and serving, but just watching people grow towards you. Sacrifice, whether it's hitting nails with a hammer or ripping a roof off and cleaning up a yard, serving in childcare, serving meals behind the scenes, cleaning a building, it doesn't really matter. It matters that we're giving to your work. And Father, that is not to our own glory, that is because you are, are a glorious God who has given us everything. Not only have you promised to take care of us for eternity, you often bless us on this earth too. Father, you hold us fast by the security of our faith in Christ, and I pray that each one would know that, that there is nothing certain, uncertain rather, there is nothing certain, more certain than knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. In all the uncertainties that are in a world, Father, there is nothing more than we could grasp a hold of this great gift of salvation and know that regardless of what happens tomorrow, you will hold us fast. And so, Father, I pray that out of response to your goodness and love, that we would be a generous people. And, Father, I pray that even as we sing now about your greatness and just respond in song, that you would fill our hearts with great praise and that we would leave this place with the kind of generous attitude that you desire, ready and willing to meet all the needs as they come up. May you be praised. May we place our faith and trust in you and all of God's people said.